Good morning, First Presbyterian. Those of you who read your announcements on Monday know that it was Jeff O'Grady who was supposed to be preaching this morning, and I'm sorry that the flu prevented Jeff O'Grady from being here today. He's a superb pastor, preacher. He served the Princeton Seminary as Dean of Student Life for two decades, as Chair of the Board of Trustees for four years, including when we were last in this sanctuary in 2019, and then had an amazing uh, finish to his career as pastor of a church in California. Jeff is also a foot taller than me, so he would show up much better in this big pulpit, and I can tell you his shoes are way bigger than I can fill, but I'm honored to come off the bench and be with you in worship today. Some of you read on the Wednesday announcement who I was, and I'm from the Philadelphia area. We had two snowstorms this past week, five inches on Monday, six inches on Friday. I was a little nervous about getting here, although I think Pastor Nick was even more nervous. <laughs> Obviously, I made it, which is more than I can say for the Philadelphia football team that never got to Florida last Sunday. Nick, thanks to you and your team and this congregation for welcoming me, welcoming me warmly today. Listen to God's Word. It comes from the Gospel of Luke the words of Jesus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received the good things. Lazarus, in like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us is a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Abraham said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Holy God, break open your word for us this day as we ponder it, that we might be reframed by it so that we might be used as you send us out into the world with good news. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so some stories have, have great opening lines, especially stories headed for the afterlife. You know what I mean. A priest, a minister, and a rabbi show up in heaven together. Joe Biden, Donald Trump, and the Pope all arrive at the pearly gates. <laughs> See, you're already laughing, and you don't even know where it's going. 
I wonder if the opening line of Jesus' story sounded like that. There once was a rich man. So listen, if you will, to Jesus' story again, slightly refreshed with some help from the writings of a couple uh, colleagues, Will Willimon and Robert Capon. There once was a certain rich man. He often ate steak and lobster. He wore Brooks Brothers suits, Tommy Tommy Bahama pajamas. Say that three times real fast. And boxers from Nordstrom's. He and his wife drove Lexus SUVs, lived in a very large house with two 85-inch high-def TVs. Now, that may not sound like the super rich to us, but he's rich to 98% of the world. At the end of his driveway lay a poor man named Lazarus. His name literally means God has help, but you can't tell. Emaciated, covered with sores, he smells to the high heaven. He's at the end of the driveway hoping the rich man will bring him some scraps from the table, but you and I know the rich man's leftovers are going to go in the fridge, never get eaten, and get thrown out in a few days. With the money he pays for his premium, just the premium cable channels, the rich man could buy Lazarus sufficient medical care for all those sores. But what he spends on his monthly cell phone bill could get Lazarus a couple hot meals every day. At least he could wheel his garbage out to the curb a little early and let Lazarus rummage through it, but, but he doesn't. He refuses to even acknowledge that Lazarus is there. Only the stray dogs pay attention to Lazarus. They're better than no companionship at all, but, but they don't do much for his hunger. So Lazarus' death is, is no surprise to us. We don't know if it was hunger or some infection, some other ailment, but we're not surprised that he dies. But we may be surprised. Don't expect the rich man in the story to, to die right now. He's, he's got great insurance. He's got a pricey gym membership, the best medical care money can buy. Maybe it was too much butter. Whatever it was, the rich man dies too. And at that moment, the two men are equal. Scripture reminds us we come into the world with nothing and we will leave the same way, equals in death. But it doesn't remain that way for long. According to Jesus' story, Lazarus is carted off by the angels to the bosom of Abraham. The rich man, however, finds himself in the flaming abyss. And from there, where the accommodations are well below his usual standards, the rich man gets a glimpse of Abraham and Lazarus having an intimate chat. But even in Hades, it's clear the rich man hasn't learned anything. The situation hasn't humbled him at all. With the same air of superiority in life, he still thinks he can command lackeys to fetch him drinks. Father Abraham, would you send Lazarus with a cool Perrier to take the curse off this infernal heat? It's hot as Hades down here. <laughs> he still doesn't get it. So Abraham gets on the line and carefully explains to the man the realities of the situation. One you had a whole lifetime's worth of good things. Lazarus was up to his eyebrows in misery. Two, just in case you haven't noticed, things have definitely been reversed. Score at the end of this last game in your heretofore winning season. Rich man, zero. Lazarus, a thousand. And three, the league rules are such that far from being able to demand overtime in which to even the score, you aren't even going to be allowed to punt. 
between us and you, Abraham says, there is a great chasm. It's fourth down and a million yards to go. But the rich man is not accustomed to taking no for an answer. He falls back on his winner instincts. Surely, Father Abraham, you'll give me some brownie points if I arrange for you to have Lazarus send a singing telegram to my five equally rich brothers, warning them about the disastrous consequences of their current investment protocols. Abraham, however, is also unenthusiastic about this new game plan. Having Lazarus schlep all over the Middle East, ringing doorbells is another of your lousy when you care enough to send a lackey ideas. Listen, says Abraham, your brothers already have a Bible full of telegrams. They get one off the shelf and read it. One last desperate play, the rich man says, I know my brothers well. They, you know, they're not much for Scripture. But if you send Lazarus back from the dead, you'll get results. Not a robocall showing up on caller ID, a real in person from the other side of the grave delivery. Believe me, I know what impresses a client. Nope, says Abraham, you know as well as I do, even if we left the risen Lord to talk to them, the rest of their lives they wouldn't get it because they don't want to. They just end up putting him on Good, Good Morning America, 60 Minutes, and for all I know, Dancing with the Stars. Nope, they won't get it. Rich man, your brothers are dumb, 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 just like you. So this is how it stands. Your brothers have Moses and the prophets. They will soon get a resurrected from the dead and risen word of God. That's more than enough for anybody who's willing to believe and be changed. But people not interested in their lives being rearranged, they'll never get it. You know, of all the characters Jesus employs in the parables, Farmers, judges, bridesmaids, brothers, and all the others, there's only one, only one parable in which a character has a name. Only one. And who gets the name? Not the rich guy, not the VIP. It's Lazarus, the poor man at the gate. And that should be a huge clue for Jesus' listeners and for us. This is a reversal story where the tables are turned upside down. You and I know our world is full of reversal stories. We teach them to our children, hoping they'll catch the moral meaning in clever fables, the tortoise and the hare, beauty and the beast, the ugly duckling, but unlike those fables where beauty gets the handsome prince and the ugly duckling becomes a glorious swan, this story ends with an abrupt crash. In most reversal stories, when someone asks permission to send a message back to the people still alive on earth, permission is granted, not here. No second chance for the five brothers. The rich man remains in the eternal down and out. Lazarus enjoys everlasting bliss. Luke writes, Jesus was telling this story to a group of Pharisees who were lovers of money. But remember, the Pharisees lived in a world where prosperity was believed to be a clear sign of God's favor. Godliness was understood to be in league with riches. Do well, and God will bless you in, in, in war, in the marketplace, in your fields, in your home. Poverty is a sign you must have done something 
wrong. But Jesus defies that line of thinking. Despite what many in the ancient world, and it seems still quite a few in the present world may think, being rich is not an automatic sign of God's favor. It is, however, always, always a sign of God's invitation. God's invitation to make a difference in the world. That's the reason Jesus tells this story. You see, reversal is the key to the kingdom coming. The kingdom coming. It's it's not just about the final great pie in the sky. It's not just about all things being set right in the happily ever after. And this text, I believe, is not to be used for one of those, where will you be five minutes after you die sermons. No, it's, it's about the five months or five years or five decades before you or I die. It's about the kingdom coming even now while we're alive. Now, I don't know, but if, if we're like most people, we look for ourselves in this parable, you and I will, most of us, go back and forth between which of the two are we closer to, Lazarus or the rich man. Professor Barbara Brown Taylor says if we're looking for ourselves somewhere in this parable, we should look at the five brothers. Abraham refused to send anybody back to the dead to warn the brothers, but by telling this parable, Jesus warns us. You and I have the scriptures. Jesus does come back from the dead. We have this story and so many others like it that Jesus told, all reminding us that God's kingdom is coming. And even more importantly, tells us about a God whose heart longs to turn the tables of injustice upside down now. Will Willimon says, perhaps as readers of this parable and citizens of the richest nation in the world, you and I are being afforded what the, what the five brothers weren't, a warning, an ability to really hear the good news. Because what Jesus suggests is putting into practice in the present day what the Pharisees believed was only going to happen in the future age. On earth as it is in heaven. Not waiting for it all to get ironed out in the great by and by, but to start the reversal now. And if you and I don't understand that was part of Jesus' mission, we don't fully understand him. Surely God's grace was given in Jesus Christ to save us, to save us, all of us. But it was also given to save the world from itself. And that can even begin today. Where we, as those officers said they would do, actually love, love our neighbor. Shane Claiborne in his book, Irresistible Resolution, Revolution, writes, that Gandhi, when asked if he was a Christian, would often reply, ask the poor. They'll tell you who the Christians are. The rich man had five brothers, should have known he had six, just didn't recognize Lazarus. The rich man loses in the end, not because he was rich, but because in the face of suffering, with all the resources he had at his disposal, he, he did nothing. 
few years ago when I was still working, before I retired, I found a, a site on the internet that you could find out where, how you ranked in pay in the world. And I punched in my stuff and I found out I was the 39 millionth, 615,049th best paid person in the world. 39 million. I mean, it doesn't sound that great until you realize it still put me in the top 1% on a pastor's salary. Broward County is among the wealthiest 15% of the counties in the United States. You and I know Lazarus lives here, lives where we live. We all know him. He is our neighbor. She is our sister. They're at the end of our driveway. Friends, the policies that you and I support, the way we vote, our influence in the city are the ways you and I can work for the grand reversal that God longs for humanity. I know First Pres is generous about mission, your work with Habitat for Humanity, the thousands of meals you provide in this city every single year. Their bus, their bus is collecting blood this morning. And your support of this congregation and your willingness to serve as leaders in this congregation show that you, as a congregation, get it. So in this season of listening, as Pastor Nick preached last Sunday, are, are you willing, First Pres, to discern who and, who and what God is calling this congregation to, to do and be in 2024 and beyond? Perhaps consider what new are you being invited to do in this community to make a difference in housing or access or the well-being of your neighbors, creating as you do at a church, not in your own image, but the church God is calling you to be as you pray, proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm funny. Let me, it's always dangerous when a preacher says that finally, but I, I, I do mean it. Let me just bring it to a personal level. There's so many ways to think about this big and, and systems that need to be changed. But here's an example, and I, and I give it because it's, it was my wife, Linda's suggestion. Her idea didn't come from the pastor. She and I began to keep a dozen $10 Wawa gift cards in our cars. Now, I know you know Wawa, because I looked it up there, Wawa's in Fort Lauderdale, not just in Philadelphia, just saying, those of you, it's a convenience market, those of you who don't know that. So whenever we see Lazarus at the corner, we can give him at least, or her, a decent sandwich. Whether or not they're a dishonest panhandler is not my concern, that's between them and God. But surely it is between God and me. If I never notice Lazarus at the end of my driveway, if I always walk around or walk over, walk past the Lazarus I see, never show any concern for those in need with my abundant resources and influence. And, and while that $10 Wawa gift card may be a small gesture, It engenders and nurtures and encourages an attitude in me every time it takes place. Don, you've been blessed to be a blessing. Friends, we have been blessed to be a blessing. Don't be a day late. 
and a dollar short. Who might our Lazarus be today or, or this week? What difference can you and I make on earth as it is in heaven? Remember, you and I have been warned. Somebody did come back from the dead and tell us. May you and I be the difference of the risen Christ in the world today as we truly, truly love our neighbor as ourselves. May it be so. Amen.